0: Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in uh, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and reading verses 7 down to 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect Nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continuing investigation of the great subject of the deity. Well, this morning we began looking at this great psalm, this psalm that directs and rivets our attention on the all knowing, all present, all powerful God of the Bible. He is the God who is omniscient, he is a God who is omnipresent. He is a God who is omnipotent. This evening, we're continuing our studies in Psalm 139. And we're looking at the way that David, the composer of this psalm, focuses on the truth of his God being omnipresent, being all present. And we're going to look at this under two headings, the affirmation and then the application. The affirmation and the application. First, the affirmation. In verse 7, we hear David's proclamation of the Lord's omnipresence. In the opening six verses, David spoke about the Lord's omniscience, his knowledge of all things. He started by declaring the Lord to be the God who had searched him and known him. Verse 1, he continued by describing the Lord's comprehensive knowledge of him in verses 2 down to 5. He knows his sitting, knows his rising, knows his thoughts. Knows his path, knows his lying down, knows all his ways. He even knows it was remarkable. Even knows the words that David speaks before David speaks them, and David concluded by by expressing his odd delight in the Lord's knowledge of him. Verse six: It was a knowledge that was too wonderful for him. It was a knowledge that was too high for him to attain. And David now moves on and proclaims the Lord's omnipresence, his presence in all places in verse 7. We read, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? David begins by asking where he could go from the Lord's spirit, beginning of verse 7. Different writers are divided on what David means here by the Lord's spirit. Some argue that David is referring to the Holy Spirit. And others argue that it's a reference to the the breath of the Lord, the power of the Lord. Either way, it is clear that David is speaking about the Lord's presence as he speaks here about going from God's spirit. And David asks here, where shall I go from your spirit? It's a rhetorical question. It is framed to expect a negative answer. There is nowhere that David can go where he will be able to escape from the Lord's spirit. And David continues by asking where he could flee from the Lord's presence. Verse 7 again. The Lord's presence refers to his face, to his countenance. And David asks, where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I go from your face? Where shall I go from your countenance? Again, it's a rhetorical question that is framed to expect a negative answer. There is nowhere that David can flee to where he will somehow be able to escape from the Lord's face, the Lord's presence, the Lord's countenance. So in using these two rhetorical questions, David is emphatic in proclaiming the Lord to be omnipresent, present in all places. But David doesn't leave it there as he goes on to explore two hypothetical avenues in which he might be able to escape from the Lord's presence in verses 8 to 12. He begins by highlighting the impossibility of distance hiding him from the Lord's presence in verses 8 to 10. We read, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David draws their attention to neither height nor depth. Being able to provide a way of escape from the Lord's presence. Verse 8. He speaks about the possibility of ascending to the heavens. The heavens are the, the highest of heights. The dwelling place of the living God. And David says, if I ascend to such a height. If I was to, to get into a rocket and go up to the heavens. The Lord would be there. And he then speaks about the possibility of descending to Shaol. Shaol is the dwelling place of the dead, the underworld. And David says, if I descend to such a place, if I go as low as it is possible to go, I would find that the Lord is there. As far as David is concerned, there is no pinnacle that he might ascend to. And there is no pit that he might descend to where he will somehow discover that the Lord is not there. And David goes on to draw our attention to neither the east nor the west. Being able to provide a way of escape from the Lord's presence. Look at verses 9 and 10. He speaks about travelling from east to west. That little phrase, wings of the morning, refers to the rays of dawn. A reference to the sun rising in the east. And the phrase, uttermost parts of the sea, refers to the vast expanse of the Mediterranean ocean in the west. And David says here, if I travel that distance... If I go from the, from the east to the west, wherever I go in the east, the Lord is there. Go to the west, the Lord is there. And everywhere in between, the Lord is there. He says here that the Lord's hand will be leading him in the east and in the west. And he says that the Lord's right hand, his hand of power, will be holding on to him in the east and in the west. He might find himself in places where he'll be far from the embrace of his family, far from the embrace of his friends. But he will never be in a place where he is outside the strong, sovereign grip, the strong, sovereign hand of his God. As far as David is concerned, there is no place where he might go, however easterly, however westerly. If he goes as far as Golsby in the east or Barbus in the west, as far as... uh, Russia in the east or America in the west, wherever he goes, the Lord is there. And after highlighting the impossibility of distance, enabling him to escape from the Lord's presence, David then highlights the impossibility of darkness, enabling him to escape from the Lord's presence. Verses 11 and 12, we read, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. David considers the possibility of darkness hiding him. verse 11 darkness is concealing. And Donald Dickey might have a, a canary when I share this story with him, but when I was a, a teenager, we used to walk from the church in Rothstein on the A9 up to the manse uh, in the country. Uh, uh, just about two or three miles away at the end of the services for the youth fellowship. And it was a great walk on the summer evening. So Donald will be fine listening to that. But, but we would also walk the distance in the winter when it was pitch black. And you couldn't see a single thing in front of you. You, you couldn't see the road ahead. It was an awful walk uh, some of these evenings. Uh, and you would be relying on the passing cars to provide you with a wee idea of just where the road was. And here David is speaking about a similar thick darkness, a a heavy darkness. It's a darkness, he says, that covers him. It's a darkness that seizes and snatches, a darkness that envelops and encloses, a darkness that oppresses and overwhelms. It is a darkness, he says, that turns the light into night. David's question is, will such a darkness enable me to hide from the Lord? And having considered the possibility of the darkness hiding him, David concludes that that is impossible. Look at verse 12. He starts by saying that the darkness is not dark to the Lord. He continues by saying that the night is as bright as day to the Lord. And he concludes by saying that the darkness is as light. With the Lord. That is an emphatic way of saying that the darkness and the light are essentially the same thing as far as the Lord is concerned. The Lord is not affected by the darkness, he is not conditioned by the darkness, he is not influenced by the darkness, he can see as clearly on a pitch black midnight evening as he can see at three o'clock in the afternoon. Night, light, and darkness, they are the same as far as he is concerned. And so David is left with this realization. That neither distance nor darkness can hide him. Neither distance nor darkness can provide him with a way of escape from the Lord. He can only affirm the truth of the Lord's omnipresence. His all-seen presence in every place and every space. That's his affirmation. But we come now to the application. First, The truth of the Lord's omnipresence is a truth that ought to caution and comfort the Lord's people. The truth of the Lord's omnipresence is a truth that ought to caution and comfort the Lord's people. It's a truth that ought to caution the Christian who's been wandering from the Lord. The devil loves to whisper in the ear of a backsliding Christian, nobody knows, nobody sees, you're getting away with it. And this psalm reminds us that the Lord knows. The Lord sees. Because wherever we go, the Lord is there. It's the truth that David knew from his own experience. In Second Samuel 11, he abuses his position of power, rapes the wife of one of his friends. After discovering that she's got pregnant, he decides that he will cover his tracks, he will conceal what he has done by orchestrating the murder of her husband and then marrying her himself, and he's left convinced that he has got away with it. But right at the end of Second Samuel 11, we read these words, the thing that David did displeased the Lord. He couldn't hide from the Lord. He couldn't escape from the Lord. It's also a truth that we see in the story of Jonah. You remember how Jonah's commanded and commissioned by the Lord to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. But instead, Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He gets on a boat that is sailing for Tarshish. Uh, He thinks that he can run away from the Lord, run away from the Lord's calling, run away from the Lord's hand in his life. But the Lord, we read, sends a great storm that threatens to to overwhelm, threatens to destroy the boat. Like David, Jonah discovers that he, he cannot hide from the Lord. He cannot escape from the Lord. It's also a truth that we see. In the prophecy of Ezekiel, the Lord takes Ezekiel into a temple and he tells him to dig into a wall. And so Ezekiel digs into the wall and after he digs into the wall, he sees the interior of the building. And what does he see? He sees that the walls have been painted with vile pictures, abhorrent pictures, grotesque pictures. And the Lord tells Ezekiel that the elders of Israel, those who were meant to be spiritually leading the people are worshipping these grotesque pictures, these abhorrent pictures, these detestable pictures, thinking that the Lord couldn't see them in the darkness. But the Lord is making it very clear to Ezekiel that they can't hide from him. They can't escape from him. And this evening, friend, if you have been wandering away from the Lord, this psalm and this truth of the Lord's omnipresence is is a caution to you. It is urging you to remember, friend, that you, you cannot escape from this God. You cannot hide from this God. You, you can maybe hide from, from myself. You can maybe hide from the Kirk session. You can maybe hide from others in the congregation. But you cannot hide. You cannot escape from this God. It's urging you to seriously think about, carefully consider what you're doing. But this truth of the Lord's omnipresence ought to be a comfort to the Christian who's been walking with the Lord. The devil loves to whisper in the ear of a faithful Christian, you're on your own. Your God has left you. Your God isn't there for you. And this psalm reminds us that the Lord is there. The Lord is there wherever we might be, whoever we might be with... And whatever we might be facing is a truth that is repeated again and again in both the Old and New Testaments. As Jacob prepares to go down to Egypt, the Lord comes to him and he says that he will be with him. As Moses prepares to face Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the Lord comes to him and says to him that he will be with him. As Joshua prepares to take over from Moses, the Lord comes to him and says to him that he will be with him. As David walks through the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23, he is aware that the Lord, his shepherd, is with him with a rod and a staff to comfort him. As Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego find themselves in the fiery furnace, they find that the Lord is walking with them through the flames. As Stephen faces an angry mob who are baying for his blood. He sees the Lord and the Lord is standing readying himself to receive him and take him home. As Paul goes in trial abandoned by his friends abandoned by his supporters he testifies to the glorious reality that the Lord stood with him and didn't simply stand with him but strengthened him. The Lord is with his people. Wherever they go whoever they're with, and whatever they might be facing. Distance is no barrier for this God. Geography is no barrier for this God. A few years ago I came across a story that beautifully illustrates this truth. An old Scotsman lay very ill and his minister came to visit. And as the minister sat down on a chair near the bedside, he noticed on the other side of the bed another chair placed at such an angle as to suggest that the visitor had just left it. Well, said the minister, glancing at the chair, I see I am not your first visitor. I said the sufferer, I'll tell you about that chair. Years ago, I found it impossible to pray. I often fell asleep on my knees. I was so tired, and if I kept awake, I could not control my thoughts from wandering. One day, I was so worried, I spoke to my minister about it, and he told me not to worry about kneeling down. Just sit down, he said, Put a chair opposite you and imagine that Jesus is in it and talk to him as you would a friend. And the man added, I've been doing that ever since. So now you know why the chair is standing like that. A week later, the daughter of the old man drove up to the minister's house and knocked at his door. Father died in the night, she sobbed. I had no idea that death could be so near. I'd just gone to lie down. He seemed to be sleeping so comfortably. And when I went back, he was dead. He hadn't moved since I saw him except that his hand was out on the empty chair at the side of his bed. Do you understand? Yes, said the minister. I understand. Tonight, this psalm and the truth of the Lord's omnipresence comforts every Christian that we have a God who will not allow anything to separate us from him. He's with us. You might be dealing with a very difficult home situation, and the Lord says, I'm with you. You might be facing a work pressure or a financial pressure that is crushing you, and the Lord says, I'm with you. You might be experiencing a health issue that has left you anxious, left you concerned over the future. The Lord says, I'm with you. You might be grieving over the loss of a loved one where your home feels so empty feels so quiet, and the Lord says, I'm with you. There is no place, no place, friends, where you will ever find yourself where this Lord will not be present. My Christian friend, I want to say this loud and clear. You are not alone. You are not on your own. And you are not going to an empty home tonight. You are going to a home where the Lord is present. But second, the truth of the Lord's on the presence is a truth that ought to caution and comfort those who aren't yet the Lord's people. It's a truth that ought to caution and comfort those who aren't yet the Lord's people. It's a truth that ought to caution a person who has no respect or regard for the Lord. The devil loves to whisper in the ears of an unbeliever that there is no God whom they are accountable to. That they will never have to answer to him. They will never have to deal with him, either in this life or in the life to come. And this psalm tells such a person that they cannot run from this God. They cannot hide from this God. This psalm tells such a person that there is never a millisecond when they are not in the strong, sovereign hand of this omnipresent God. Quite simply, there is no evading this God. There is no escaping this God, either in this life or in the life to come. We live and we will always live, as Jodo loves to say, "Corum Deo, before the face of God. That is the best news possible for the Christian, for the believer. For the person who's received Jesus by faith, or for the person who is in Christ, it is a glorious thing to live before the face of God in this life, and it's a glorious thing to live with the prospect of living before the face of God in the life to come. But this is the worst news possible for the person who isn't a Christian, the person who isn't a believer, the person who's not received Jesus by faith, the person who is still outside of Christ. It is a fearful thing to live before the face of a God who who is your enemy in this life. A fearful thing. And it is a fearful thing to live before the face of this God in the life to come. And experience the horrifying reality of him being your enemy. Michael Horton writes... Hell is not horrible due to alleged implements of torture or its temperature. Whatever the exact nature of this everlasting judgment, it is horrible ultimately for one reason only. Listen to this. God is present. The God who is present everywhere at all times will be forever present in hell as judge. Hell is not ultimately about fire, but about God. Whatever the exact nature of the physical punishments, the real terror awaiting the unrepentant is God himself and his inescapable presence forever with his face turned against them. My friend, if you have come here tonight and you have been refusing this God, resisting this God, rejecting this God up until now, this psalm and this truth of the Lord's omnipresence is a caution to you. It's, it's a wake-up call. It is saying to you, friend, you cannot run from this God. You cannot run from him in this life and you cannot, you will not run from him in the life to come. You can only rest on him or you will eventually be ruined by him. It's a caution But this truth of the Lord's omnipresence is also a truth that ought to comfort the person who might not yet be a Christian, but is concerned about their soul, concerned about their salvation. The devil loves to whisper in the ear of the person who isn't a Christian that the Lord is distant. The Lord is far removed. The Lord is inaccessible. The Lord is out of reach. And this psalm tells such a person that there is nowhere in the whole cosmos where this God is not present. And because he is all present, because he is near, he can be called on and he will hear. He hears the broken cry of the person coming out of church and getting into their car or walking to their home. He hears the broken cry of the person who is making their way to work or making their way to school. He hears the broken cry of the person who is sitting at their kitchen table or sitting in their living room couch. And he hears the broken cry of the person who is lying on the hospital bed or waiting in the hospice, fearful and afraid about what the coming days, weeks and months might bring. My friend, if you came here tonight and and you're not yet a Christian, someone who has received Jesus by faith, please don't let this incredible opportunity pass you by. Tonight the living God is near. He is far nearer than the person who is sitting next to you. Some of you are sitting really close to one another. It's as if there was no such thing as COVID anymore. And it's great to see people who are feeling comfortable about sitting next to friends and family once again. But the living God is even nearer than that. And he has given you this opportunity to call out to him for grace, to call out to him for mercy, to call out to him for salvation. And he has promised that he will hear He has promised that He will respond. He has promised that He will not turn you away. A day is going to come, and it might be far sooner than we might think, when the opportunity to call out for this grace, call out for this mercy, call out for this salvation will be gone, and it will be gone forever. But while you have this opportunity, while the Lord is near, While the Lord is ready and waiting to answer, don't let it pass you by. This is the God, friends, who is omnipresent, present in all places. And it is a truth that cautions and comforts. It cautions the backslidden and comforts the faithful. It cautions the indifferent and it comforts the concerned.